InfoTrack continues. Once again, here's Chris Whitting. No one likes being depressed, and if you or someone you know suffers from the blues or even a more serious condition, a research study offers a solution. Here to tell us about it is a lead author of the study, Brandon Alderman, assistant professor at Rutgers University. So, Brandon, before we get to the results of your study, how common is depression among Americans? The rates of depression vary. There are studies that come out every few years that look at what the rates are. It's also important to know that it's widely believed to be underreported. So, you know, the rates that we have are those who actually go to seek help for depression. But in general, it's about 17 to 20 percent of the population at any given time. And then there's these prediction rates that suggest that, you know, one in five people across their lifetime will suffer from at least one bout of depression. Is it more common to have depression at certain ages? Well, that too is pretty debatable and different age groups might be susceptible for different reasons, different, let's say, stressors in their lives that might increase their risk for depression. That might be in a younger population. In older adults, there might be some other stressors in their lives that they are faced with. It could be dealing with chronic disease or death of a spouse, or maybe even something like social isolation that might serve as the stressor to increase depression. So in general, that whole idea that it's age-dependent is also very debatable, and perhaps it's related to these types of life events. Here in America, we would go to either American Psychological or American Psychiatric Association's guidelines. And here in the last few years, I think they've taken a number of really positive steps. They are now including, in essence, what we can call a stepped care approach for depression. That stepped care approach means that you look at how depressed an individual is at the outset prior to assigning some form of treatment. And so if it's mild to moderate forms of depression, maybe in a more appropriate form of treatment for those individuals might be some form of cognitive behavioral therapy or psychotherapy, where more advanced stages or more severe forms of depression, they might be candidates for maybe an immediate prescription for drug therapy. In general, the approaches that are used in the United States consist of either various forms of cognitive behavioral therapy or drug therapy. Walk us through your study. Tell us about the approach you took to this. There was various aspects of inspiration that led to the study. We were inspired both by animal research that suggests that if you combine some form of physical exercise with effortful mental training, that might lead to more positive aspects of brain function. In terms of human research, there's a really large and emerging body of evidence that suggests that both aerobic exercise and various forms or traditions of meditation are both beneficial for depression and for cognitive function. And so for this study, we decided to combine aerobic exercise with a style of meditation called focused attention meditation. And we had participants in our study, some of whom were depressed at the outset, so they were clinically depressed. And we also had a group of non-depressed healthy comparison participants. And we had all of them participate in an eight-week trial. And so across the eight weeks, we had our participants engage in two 30-minute bouts of exercise per week and two 30-minute sessions of meditation. And it just so happened in this trial, we did 30 minutes of meditation followed by 30 minutes of aerobic exercise twice per week across the eight weeks. 
So not a very big time commitment there on the part of the participants. So what were the results? What we're interested in is, do you see a reduction in symptoms of depression? And we did, and it was a marked reduction in symptoms of depression. It was statistically significant and meaningful for both groups, so both for the individuals with depression and then the healthy comparison participants. The reduction in depressive symptoms was around a 40% reduction among those who were clinically depressed at the outset of the study. So the whole research team that's involved in this trial were all very interested in what are the mechanisms that underlie these beneficial effects of exercise on depression. And what we were targeting in this study was improvements in various aspects of cognitive function and specifically cognitive control processes. So we found an improvement in cognitive control, and that improvement in cognitive control was related to a reduction in ruminative thought patterns. And so let me just give you an idea of how that might work. Okay. We might suggest that as negative thought patterns arise in one's mind, and that tends to happen more frequently in individuals with depression, after the intervention, they were able to increase these aspects of cognitive function that might be useful for attenuating those negative thought patterns or inhibiting or filtering out those negative thought patterns when they arise in consciousness. Brandon, what was the most surprising thing you found in your study? Doing meditation and exercise twice per week for an hour, so, you know, 30 minutes apiece twice per week, that's lower than what is typically recommended for aerobic exercise for reductions in depression. And that suggests, perhaps, that by combining exercise with meditation, you can perhaps harness the benefits of exercise and lower the dose that's needed for such a meaningful reduction in depression. So that would mean that there's less of a commitment really required on the part of the individual. It perhaps makes the aerobic exercise more effective if you do some of the meditation. Well, I like the way you worded that. Yes, it's a less of a commitment. I think that maybe there's something about combining exercise and meditation that, you know, enhances the benefits of both. Perhaps they work through different mechanisms, but I'm an exercise scientist, and so, you know, my goal is to actually get people to exercise as often as possible. Do you have any idea what is happening to reduce the depression? Do these behaviors change the brain chemistry somehow? Well, when you exercise and when you engage in various forms of meditation, I think there's all sorts, and we've seen this in the scientific literature, there's all sorts of positive things that are going on. So it's really difficult to actually pinpoint exactly what it is that's resulting in these positive changes in brain function and as they relate to depressive symptoms. For this study, we were looking at some aspects of cognitive control processes, suggesting that one mechanism through which exercise and meditation can reduce depression is just this, let's call it a cognitive control over the emotion that one is dealing with. But it's quite possible that brain chemistry is involved, that there's growth factors and neurotransmitters involved. So all of those are still up in the air and still await further investigation. We're talking on InfoTrack with Brandon Alderman, assistant professor in the Department of Exercise, Science, and Sports Studies at Rutgers University. Brandon, you mentioned that, I guess, normal individuals participated in your study and they found a benefit. Can you be a little more specific about that? Sure. All of the participants, both the individuals who were depressed at the outset and those who were not, they all engaged in the exact same trial, so eight weeks of exercise and meditation. We also looked at the same outcome variable, 
And so for the outcomes, pre- and post-intervention, we were looking at depressive symptoms and rumination and various aspects of cognitive function and also in aerobic fitness. What we found in the healthy individuals is that they too improved in depression and rumination and cognitive control, just not to the same extent as the individuals who are depressed. There could be an issue of, oh, well, maybe they weren't as bad at the outset. It also perhaps supports the idea that these interventions are not only effective for treating depression, but might also be good just to take on as lifestyle behaviors as prevention for various mental health disorders like depression. And lastly, both in the depressed and non-depressed individuals, all of these improvements in depression and cognitive control, they all happened without a meaningful change in aerobic fitness. And so what that means is by combining meditation with exercise, you can experience all of these improvements and you don't have to have a meaningful change in your levels of physical fitness. In terms of the aerobics that you had people doing for this study, how much exercise was that? Was it basically just get out of breath and maybe perspire a little bit, or was it milder than that? Yeah, you're exactly right. We wanted to try to really make the trial as what we call externally valid as possible. So we wanted to make it as real life as possible. So for our participants, they were allowed to choose what type of aerobic exercise they engaged in, Some of them ran on the treadmill. Some of them exercised on a cycle ergometer or on an elliptical machine. And really, the only restriction for the study is that we had them all exercise at moderate intensity. So that's often something that comes up. Well, what does that mean? What does it mean to exercise at moderate intensity? And in essence, it just means that for 30 minutes, you're exercising at a level that you would rate about a 6 or a 7 on a scale of 1 to 10 or at a level where you are beginning to breathe hard and sweat. Brandon Alderman, Assistant Professor in the Department of Exercise, Science and Sports Studies at Rutgers University. Thank you so much for joining us today. It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. You're listening to InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know.